Hello and welcome to the next episode of F1 Track. This, my name is Kriya Gangia. We are bringing you the latest, greatest Formula One news. And I think there's lots of excitement because we are finally going back to a traditional circuit. Uh, joining me on the show today is Chop Sabuka, a voice that we all know and love. The amazing, the phenomenal South African race car driver, Chop Sabuka. That's an amazing intro. Yeah, you know, with you, Chops, I have to give you the best intro physically possible. Oh, well, thank you so much. You're very kind, Priya. <laughs> and then another familiar voice to the podcast is Matthew Kanai. He's a professional automotive and lifestyle content creator and a massive Bad Bulls fan, Matthew Kanai. You know the story. I'm here to, to back my boys, good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then a brand new voice and a guest on the show today is Michael Pashut. He's the owner and founder of the online vehicle platform Change Cars and is one of the hosts of All Things Motoring on Ignition TV. Ma uh, Michael, it is great to have you on the show today. Kriya, thank you to you and your team for the opportunity. It's an absolute privilege. I'm a huge Formula One fan, and the, the opportunity to talk about Formula One just excites me to the core. Can't wait. <laughs> All right, let's get straight into it. And Matthew, this one is for you, because I know you're going to have a great opinion about it. It's McLaren signing Rob Marshall from Red Bull as their new technical chief. Are you worried as a bad bull? No. Um, look, it's not a bad thing. He's been there 17 years in Milton Keynes and he's helped, you know, produce good constructors championships from 2010 to 2013. It's not a bad thing. You know, people always want sort of challenges wherever they may go, but it, it's not something to be worried about. He's still going to be uh, with us till the 2023 season. And then he starts in 24 for McLaren. Um, and again, look, it's it's not bad. So to give people a much more broader understanding, he was part of the powertrains division. So he was responsible for helping all things engine. And with Red Bull switching to Ford powertrains or Ford Motorsport powertrains in 2026, um, you know, it, it obviously just brings the tenure of Honda Power. Honda Power is obviously going to Aston Martin and that's okay because we've blueprinted it and perfected it. So <laughs> we still have all the IP for it. Um, so it's okay. I mean, he served as chief designer and he helped a lot, especially from an engineering side. Um, but his main role was heavily involved in powertrain. So that's something that McLaren could definitely use help in. They are Mercedes powered, but you know, so is the Aston Martin and that's doing phenomenally better. So, I mean, all the best for him, uh, but nothing to be worried about because as we change to a new supplier, um, it's okay because then he'll just take his Honda knowledge to there. And that's why it's a, it's a fair pairing for him to leave. Okay. And this is only going to happen at the end of the 2023 season anyway. So we still got a, the rest of the year with him. You've still got it at least. Yeah. So, I mean, he does have a wealth of knowledge, but like I said, he's pretty much dedicated to the Honda powertrain and we've done so much with that engine. We've exploited it. And, you know, with Honda obviously departing and it being called Red Bull powertrains, um, we still have the fundamentals of great engineering and engine design um, so it's obviously sad when someone leaves, but then again, in the sport, you know, if you've been there for 17 years, um, and you've won constructors titles back to back, um, it's okay for some people to take up a new challenge, but also, like I said, he leaves and, um, we've got a new powertrain coming in. So it's fresh knowledge. He would have had to start from scratch again. Mm. Um, and we have people inside the team because everyone has the best of the best. So it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's not really a sad thing really because there's brilliant minds there and obviously if he departs on good terms like what uh, Christian was saying 
you know, then it just brings an upward trend for competitiveness for everyone else. I love how you had a couple of humble brags in that that statement. <laughs> I just got to throw it in there, you know. I got to let people know I'm a serious supporter, not a, uh, a typical DTS. I've just watched it and this is the best team, so I shall support. Whilst you bring that up... Um, Michael, you're an avid Formula One fan. You've been, you can literally go into the history of Formula One. What do you think about the DTS kind of generation that's coming up and what Drive to Survive has done for the sport? I've been watching Formula One since 1981. And I'm very honest when I say I find it hard to relate to some of the drivers today. For me, and again, maybe it's because I'm 50 now, you know, you, your heroes always have to be older than you. 40 years ago, my heroes were older than me. But I look at the younger generation today, your Lando Norris, your Yuki Sonoda. I must be honest, I just can't put them in the same category as I did, whether it be Michael Schumacher, Elaine Prost, Nelson Piquet, Nicky Lauda, Keki Rosberg. But there's no question, it's just a perception. There's an incredible generation that is coming through. My favorite of the new generation, without a doubt, is George Russell. I think he is com the complete, complete package. What is the feeling of the team towards George Russell? Mm, I think it's pretty um, neutral. Um, Matthew obviously doesn't like him at all because he races for Mercedes, right, man? <laughs> <laughs> I've got my look. I've got my fair opinions, but I do have a healthy respect for other teams and and other people who are brilliant minds in it. So um, there's no there's no general hate. I've I've been supporting for quite some time as well. So I've got respect. I've obviously got my biasness, but I've got a lot of respect for for people who've got the skill. For sure. Well, it's interesting. So Matthew, a big Red Bull supporter, just on Rob Marshall leaving. I always look at it from two different perspectives. From a McLaren point of view, absolutely no doubt where the team is at right now, it's a coup. But you have to ask yourself, why were Red Bull prepared to let him leave? It wouldn't have been money. Whatever McLaren could offer, they could offer the same or more. He's established there. Is it fair to say that he had run his course at Red Bull, maybe couldn't make the influence that he wanted under Adrian Newey anymore or have an influence like he would have wished to have, whereas at McLaren, he will play a key, key role in development? Look, it, it goes both ways. I mean, he's done generations of cars. Like he helped with double championships from 2010 to 2013, which was absolutely outstanding and he was a key figure in the team in terms of the broader engineering role but you know how the evolution of the sport continues to grow with something like this you know we've stuck with a, a, a powertrain that has done so well for this current season and obviously in 2026 with the dropping of the MGUH and MGUK that's going to be a very big thing that's obviously what's lured Audi Sport to, into this into it and the other constructors that might join um, so again, it presents itself a new challenge. And when you've done it for so long within the team, you know, you've built up a history and reputation. So if someone says, you know, they want a new challenge, that's cool. But then the team look at it from introspection and say, well, if you're going to get a new technical challenge and we're going to get a new power supplier, it presents a whole new sort of challenge for this. Just like with the ground effect rules for the current cars, it becomes difficult for teams to adapt to it. But people who know about it, you know, they stick to it and they get a new challenge and it works itself well within the team. So, you know, you could have your theories, but again, it's just like how Lawrence Stroll is snapping up all the Red Bull people, luring them with money and stuff like that. But again, you can't really buy loyalty. So loyalty will always prevail at the end of the day. They'll obviously serve under Red Bull if they choose to. And if they leave, that's on them. You can't really force people to stay. But yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where you can have so many answers, but 
like he said, he's done so long. He's worked on different areas mm. of the cars. So for him to depart, I think it's okay. Um, and there's not really a threat. There's lots of people who have left Red Bull already and they've joined Aston Martin and the likes. And some have been lured by Ferrari. But still, the formula is the same. The family eth ethic is the same. And uh, yeah. Well, we can see how much pressure has put Red Bull under with their six straight wins. They're really feeling the pressure, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, exactly. obviously. I mean, nothing affects the Red Bull team. And it's current guys. That team is so strong. Management, designer, and top driver is just a winning recipe that will continue for many years, I believe. And I think we can bring yeah. Chops in here. Chops, let's talk about that lap that Max had to get the pole position in qualifying. That was insane. I mean, that final sector was a crazy time. You know, Kriya, it, it, it is spellbinding. You, you, you just can't understand the level of commitment that he has in putting the car on pole. I mean, he's doing exactly what Senna would do, take a, every single inch of the track to put the car on pole. I mean, to go to the extremes of trying to straight line the corner as much as touching the barrier, I thought touching the barrier would have slowed him down, but he was obviously heavily, overly committed. I mean, that last sector was just mind-boggling. It just shows you where he is in his level of confidence in the team, and his level of driving, but more importantly, he that's how that's how you tell a champion from the rest. And then you kind of make the comparison between him and his teammates, where Checo, the street king in inverted commas, had the worst time out on the track chops. So here's my take about Checo. Checo is a good driver, but he is nowhere at the level of your Verstappen's, your Russells, your Lewis Hamiltons, and. I think it's, you'd probably rank him in the sides or, or Leclerc. So if I speak about Leclerc, I'm just meaning something goes wrong with those guys. One out of or two out of ten races, they're they are good. They're on top of it psychologically. And I think somewhere along the line, something wears them down psychologically and they're not able to deliver what needs to be done on the day because... Checo is in a good car. Whether the team are giving him everything that they're giving to Max is something that remains to be heard and something that remains to be seen. But in a nutshell, I just think Checo sort of fades away at some point in time and is not able to deliver according to what he's supposed to be. Look, I, I know Chop's sort of a technical point of view. He's, he's hitting the nail on the head, but it was just one of those unfortunate weekends where he just didn't have it right together. There's so many things where you could say, he was looking at the car, you know, in the beginning uh, that was coming out of the pit lane and it distracted him and he carried on too much speed and he hit it. And that took a hit in his confidence. It could have been the weather, but it was just, it was very disappointing from my point of view, because that's obviously not the, the, the Sergio that we know. Um, yeah, exactly. But I do think, look, he, he does make his mistakes. And when he does, I think because he's such a driver that's put into the spotlight under Max, he's under a lot of scrutineering. So I, he does have the skill and he does have the talent. Um, I think he's a lot better driver than T-Boy. Um, I don't believe in George Russell at the moment. Um, I feel like he could be better <laughs> and he's kind of big the thorn in the side to Lewis. Um, I just personally think that George just has a lot more maturity in the team and it can't always be about him and he has to be a player. Um, but yeah, Sergio, I, look, Sergio's still a good solid driver um, and, and he's got the skill. He's got the right car. 
I just think, you know, it, it just wasn't his weekend. Um, and I, we're all expecting a lot more from him, but it just went downhill. And obviously the plague of Monaco, it's a tough circuit to overtake mm. and to get things right. And once you get one thing wrong at Monaco, you know, that's unfortunately your demise. And that's how Ocon got his podium. He was just in luck. Um, but, you know, he'll bounce back. Uh, it'll be the first circuit coming up that's actually on a proper racetrack. So a lot of drivers are looking forward to that. But, uh, yeah, it's like what Chop said. It's just, it's very hard um, to get it right. But when you get it wrong, it just all crumbles like domino effect. Michael, a driver that had a great weekend as well was uh, Fernando Alonso. So Chop's made a very, very good point. There's no question. There's no driver at the top level of Formula One that he's not a top driver. But Checo Sergio Perez is not remotely in the same league as Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton at his prime. If you go back years and years and years, Rubens Barrichello on his day would have matched Michael Schumacher. David Coulthard on his day would have matched Mika Hakkinen. Gerard Berger would have matched Ayrton Senna. But out of 10 weekends, week in, week out, Max will deliver. You have eight brilliant weekends, one good weekend and one average weekend. Out of 10 weekends, Sergio will deliver five out of 10 times and the other five will be there or thereabouts. Talking about delivering, Fernando Alonso, 41 years old. The way he's delivering at the moment, I, funny enough, have never been a huge Alonso fan. I've always been a huge Alonso admirer. For many years, as we know, he hasn't won a race for 10 years. But for many years, he didn't have a car that was close to winning a race. At the moment, what he's doing with that Aston Martin, which no question is a very good car, is just absolutely sublime. You could not imagine that uh, Max would be doing more in that car than Alonso is. Huge fan of what he's doing at the moment. Do you think, Chops, that they could have been a little bit more strategic? I feel like bringing him out on hards and then sending him out on inters was probably not the greatest idea that Aston Martin could have had. So I think, in fairness, it's always going to be at hindsight from our side. But the team uh, are sometimes informed or misinformed by the same uh, mechanic, mechanical things they use or instruments to see what the weather is going to be doing. And at that point in time, they felt it might have just been pouring in the certain part of the circuit and not necessarily on the side of part of the circuit instead of just pouring right around the circuit. And they made the call, which have worked in his favor had it not poured right round the circuit. So it was one of those good calls when they made it and it turned out not to be so good when it started raining all over the circuit. But you've got to hand it to Alonso. He's still got the talent, he's got the skill, he's got the experience behind him to still not make mistakes going on hards in, 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 in the weather like that that changes all the time because remember it's a street circuit and the temperature variation is very different from a, a circuit, a normal conventional circuit. So the temperatures drop quite quickly on a street circuit. And the fact that he didn't crash the car under those circumstances is also amazing for a guy his age and was right on chasing Max to the best ability he can. So in my opinion, no matter what Aston Martin did, if they did the same strategy as Red Bull, they were going to be beaten. They had to roll the dice. I personally think, in my opinion, it was a good decision to go onto the hards to start. I think the rain worked against Aston Martin on Sunday. But short of Max crashing or having a major mechanical problem, 
Aston Martin were always going to be coming second. The drive they delivered, the strategy was good. Rain at Monaco is just a monopoly. It's a, it's, it's a roll of a dice, unfortunately. And as I said, in my opinion, unless Red Bull threw it away, uh, Alonso was always coming second. If he had taken pole, though, possibly would have been a totally different story. Then it would have been the other way around. Red Bull would have been quicker, but because uh, they were in front, uh, Aston Martin could have controlled undercuts, overcuts, whatever they wanted. But a great race by Aston Martin. My prediction is in the next four races, Aston Martin will win a race. Mission 33 is a go. <laughs> Matthew's definitely not going to share my optimism because he wants uh, Red Bull to win four of the next four. I get that. But uh, I think Aston Martin is a very, very strong package. All right. No, for sure. Look, I've, I've got some stuff to weigh in on that. I mean... It, it was something that Alonso, it was the one that got away. And, and if we look at what happened, you know, there was going to be a short shower and they didn't know how long the rain would be. So on the radio, he came on to say he is going to go for dry. So in the beginning, you know, for those listening, Alonso was more than 24 seconds ahead of Russell and well over 30 of Ocon, um, Hamilton and Gasly. So the conditions he was experiencing as he came around to the pits in lap 54 would have been less wet than those of the cars behind him because the, the rain moved in a lot more quicker. So when he did make his stop on lap 54, he had more, he had made up more than five seconds on Verstappen on that one lap and eight seconds behind him. So that number to remember is eight seconds. So on lap 55, when the rain came down, Verstappen was struggling on worn slick tires and even hit the wall in Portier. And that was also like a hard stopping moment because you hardly see those kind of mistakes from him. And then Alonso only then realizing how wet the track was followed him to do the same. So behind our intermediates, Ocon, Hamilton, and Gasly all gained seven or so seconds on the Red Bull in the middle sector. And Russell lost nearly four um, with those sort of conditions. So it, it was just touch and go um, for him if he had fitted Inters on lap 54. But if you look at those games, um, it would suggest that you know Hamilton's pace would have made up more than the eight-second difference before it come in. Um, and he had driven Ocon and Gasly's place um, into that sort of section as well. So those sort of things played into it. So it was kind of like his experience coming into the gamble to him suggesting, yes, we should go for that tire, made the wrong call, came back in. So he was also trying to cover up for the guys behind him because in yeah. those conditions, the people behind him just closed up gap by gap. Yeah, I think it's also a risky one. Like like you said, Matthew, when you're on that side of the track and, and the, the weather moves in in that direction, it's very hard to, to tell depending, and it moved in really quickly, let's be serious, mm -hmm. um, to, to make a call like that. And I think at the end of the day, the result was the best that he could have expected coming out of that comp. Speaking about someone that you said, Matthew, was super lucky, <laughs> was Esteban Ocon making his <laughs> way to the third spot on the podium. Yeah, look, as as the internet likes to call him, ST Bestie, um, <laughs> Esteban just said, oh man, I've, I've been so happy for him. And, you know, if you've watched his journey coming from Force India um, and the Renault F1 team, he's been itching and dying. And for him to get his third ever podium in his life in F1, it's just, it's a real joy for him. It boosts the morale of the team. And again, Esteban Ocon was just the case of right place, right time. He just slotted himself. He's been a consistent driver. He's been really good with Alpine. And for him to just, you know, everyone's saying like, oh, he got lucky. He's an overrated driver. Esteban just did the work. He's one of those guys who is the worker bees. He's in the team. He puts his head down. He does it. And based on conditions, 
He just happened to slot in so well. He held the gap. Team strategy was on point. They looked at the conditions, the tires that people were using, and they knew their fight was with Hamilton and Russell because they were the threat. They wouldn't have had a chance to catch Alonso or Max. They knew that. They were a good 27 seconds ahead. But for him, they had to hold third. And if you watched him throughout the race, they were covering Hamilton. They were covering Russell. And even when it was touch and go with other drivers like Leclerc, they knew that's what they had to do. So Gasly coming in to pick up the rear and to defend Sainz from taking him his base, so splitting up the Ferraris. I think Ocon was just right place, right time. And to be honest, you know, the way he drove to defend that, that's a well-deserved P3. Chops, you always say to me that it doesn't matter how much skill uh, you have, you need a little bit of luck, right? Absolutely. He's, he, I mean, you, you bring uh, Charles de Cleur back onto the equation of Carlos Sainz. The, I mean, the results would have been completely different. Hopefully, he wouldn't have crashed. Then it would have promoted Alcon forward again. But you got to give it to him. You know, whilst you're still driving a car underneath you, you still have to have the skill and the expertise to be able to withstand the pressure that comes with it. So you can't take away what he has done on the weekend and the brilliant drive under those conditions to score what he scored but let's see now as we get to the conventional circuits who's who in the zoo well let's actually move on to the conventional circuits because it's we're going to spain circuit barcelona catalonia um, and it's kind of gone back to its original layout michael now the last time that we used this track was in 2006 and Alonso is the only driver on the grid that has driven this original layout. Correct, correct. Superb track came onto the Formula One circuit essentially in 1991 after five years at the arrest circuit, which is very well known and still used in MotoGP. Absolutely superb circuit. What is interesting about uh, the Grand Prix coming up in Spain, it's 10 years ago that Fernando Alonso last won a race in Formula One, and it was at the 2013 Spanish Grand Prix. Can you imagine the support that he's going to have there this weekend? It's a circuit he knows well. It's a circuit he excels at. And with that home support, you've got to believe my prediction of a win in the next four is coming. Matthew, sorry for Red Bull. It's coming this weekend. <laughs> what's my what's my having today? Because I assume in the in, in four races to come, we, we're gonna be in Britain to say the least. So I mean, hello. Is <laughs> Max has got scores to settle in Britain, eh? Why did any did anything funny? Did any cars go over his head in the at the British Grand Prix in twenty twenty one? It's amazing that well, that is uh, close on two years ago. Yeah. So those scores still need to be settled. I, you know what? My, my opinion about this one, and, and Michael and I had a, a brief chat about it the other day, is that a home crowd is just going to absolutely give Mission 33, and I'm going with it, as an extra push because that home crowd is going to want it for Alonso. There is no question. We've seen in the past the kind of support that Hamilton at times has got at Silverstone, that Max has got at uh, the Dutch Grand Prix. It's just electric. Um, Alonso's always had a huge following in Formula One in general, but in Spain in particular. And you'll go a long way to find a crowd that will be more anti everybody else then the Spanish crowd <laughs> appear for Max Verstappen's safety uh, at the upcoming Spanish Grand Prix. But it's going to be a mega Grand Prix on a mega track. Let's talk 
the fact that we're going back to a traditional track. So a lot of things have happened in the last couple of races. We're talking updates for McLaren. We're talking updates for Mercedes. We're talking updates for Ferrari. And none of them have really had the opportunity to show their true colors because a street track doesn't really give the teams the testing that they want, the situations they want, the scenarios. Now we're going to Spain, which is a traditional track. This is massive for those teams that want to really dial in those updates. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's very important. I think, um, you know, Catalonia is also renowned for testing every aspect of a racing car, and it's been quite heavily relied on for testing for F1 over the years. Um, and going back to what the boys said now, um, it's also the track where Verstappen won his maiden F1 race and also the same race uh, where two of the Mercedes drivers, Hamilton and Nico Rosberg, dramatically collided on the first lap. So hoping that Russell T-Boy can do his number. But <laughs> it is, it is a, it's, it's a track where it demands a lot from the car. Um, and, you know, teams can really bring a lot of their upgrades. Again, all your extreme testing, whether it's aero, the high-vis paint, any sort of significant change is done generally at the circuit. So teams can really dial it in. So a lot of the teams are going to be looking at this for, for the next predictions of a couple of races where they'll place themselves on the tall order. And they'll say, well, we need to work on our straight line speed, our corner speed, our entry speed. Um, so a lot of them are hoping to bounce back from a difficult street circuit for many, many of that. Um, and also Red Bull set to bring some upgrades, which a lot of teams are fearing. But this is where, you know, it really dies in. It's a high speed circuit. It's got high tire degradation. So it's got to do with making sure that it's done in the right way. It's also very high temperature, so cooling could be affected for the brakes. Um, so it's actually going to be very, very interesting for most teams because, as we've seen, some of the horses have had some of the highest top speeds. Um, so any, anything can happen, but it, it's a fun, fast circuit. Um, and I think teams are really looking to unlock a lot, but also not to risk it because, you know, powertrain restrictions and they don't want to get too hectic in, into the season, especially with it being so early on. Chops, let's talk from a driver's perspective. Obviously, Max going into this race, he he wants to extend his lead even further. He's had great experiences on this track previously. He's also had bad experiences on this track previously. Um, what is kind of the mindset as a driver going into a race like this, moving from a street circuit into a traditional circuit? Usually when you come out of Monaco, you, you, you've got a very high ego. You heavily boosted. You, your energy is at a high. And um, coming out of Monaco now with Alonso, Alonso's energy is on a high because he's going into uh, a home street, a home race, and the support will, will cheer him on. You know, if I go back to what Matthew is saying about the, the importance of the car and how it dials in into the circuit and the things that happen to it is quite extreme. What we then tend to forget is that if... Austin Martin brings in an update on a car, so will Red Bull's update comes in. So if Austin wins a race, hypothetically Red Bull wins a race by 15 seconds or 20 seconds, and the guy that comes second, is that's the difference. So those guys have got to catch up in a race distance that much. It's always interesting if they go over the finish line by a couple of seconds apart, then you know you've got a winning car and you can then challenge Max Verstappen. I just think Max going into this race, he's there to win it. 
If he doesn't win it, he'll settle for second. Or, uh, well, he won't settle behind Sergio. That's one thing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so w- what you will see happening is that the Austin Martin can be strong enough to deliver against the Red Bull. I'm sure it's going to be there. But the tricky part is the Ferrari as well is there. But with it last... That remains to be seen. Chops, I thought that Joshua, I thought that uh, Joshua Steppen was a huge Sergio Perez fan. Am I mistaken? <laughs> now, I love the way Chops says well, that uh, he won't settle for second. I think the worst position for Max is coming second behind Sergio. But Chops has nailed it, what he spoke about, the speed differential. Wherever Red Bull is today ahead of the chasing pack, they are going to maintain that gap. Whether it's three tenths, four tenths, five tenths, circuit dependent, that gap is not going to change. For another team to catch up or win the race, like I'm predicting for Aston Martin, is going to have to be a variable. That variable could be an unforeseen for Max at the start, during the race, in in practice, etc., or rain. I don't know if you're aware, Kriya, they've predicted rain for Spain this weekend. That's really going to throw a spanner in the works. And you throw rain into the mix and you just have the be-all and end-all, in my opinion, of excitement. Monaco didn't quite deliver that. Unusual, but absolutely. In Spain, if it rains, they always say it rains in Spain, you're going to have some fun. (laughs) Hopefully mainly on the plane. (laughs) That was a movie reference, guys. From My Fair Lady. I'm so glad that you guys got it. (laughs) Haven't watched that movie. Sorry, Kay. (laughs) This evening, 7 o'clock, we're all watching it, Korea. (laughs) Have you guys never heard (laughs) it? The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. I've heard it. I just don't know where it's from. I have indeed heard it. When when, when you're 50, you've actually heard it twice. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's talk. Let's talk predictions because this is always my favorite part of the show. So, Michael, I'm going to keep you for last because I feel like you're going to have a lot of opinions on everyone's predictions. Let's start with Chops. In no order of priority, I'd like to say we are going to see a Red Bull win here. We are going to see Ferrari second and we're going to see the Austin Martin third. You know I'm going to push you for drivers, hey? You are going to push me for drivers. It's very obvious it's going to be Max, to be Leclerc, and it should be Alonso. Oh, interesting. Uh, Matthew? I'm sure you know how this is going to go. <laughs> but um, <laughs> look, I- I'm yet to see if these uh, Mercedes upgrades are going to do well. Um, obviously, I'm so glad they got rid of that really, really dumb zero side pod. Um, that just frustrated me how, you know, that was letting the whole thing down. But either way, it'll be Max's race. Um, I'm going to see him in P1, P2, Sergio, P3, Alonso, P4, we're going to go with Lewis Hamilton, P5, George Russell. And then six and seven, I'm going to go with Charles and Carlos, mostly because they'll oh. have another divorce fight on the radio. Um, unfortunately, um, from my wealth of knowledge, I'm going to put Lance Stroll at P8, Gasly 9, and Lando 10, mostly because Stroll is going to be the thorn in the side of Aston Martin. Alonso's obviously carrying that team very far, but I haven't seen you know, Lance perform as well. I don't think he's up to scratch with Fernando, and I think Lawrence very soon or midway throughout the season is going to have to make a decision to keep his son in or not, because you think if they want out. to become... 
I don't think he'll kick him out, but I will say that his dad will need to make a very tough decision because if they want to fight with the Red Bulls, because technically one point behind the Aston Martins are the Mercedes now, so technically it's a Red Bull-Aston fight. If Aston want to take a fight to Red Bull, which they technically can if they get it right, Lance has to step it up. And if he's going to come in P8, P7, it's it's not good enough. So that's why... I. In, even in my fantasy, uh, I'm thinking of chucking him out because he's just not performing as well. And Alonso's just running the show. So that, that's it for me. I don't have any faith in, in Lance this weekend, um, especially because it's a high-speed circuit and Lance is prone to making a lot of mistakes, especially because the circuit is very late-breaking. So you've got those sweeping corners that they've introduced. So a lot of the guys are going to be cheeky and they're going to force wide, especially in Max. Max loves to do the understeer into the corner and force the drivers out. That's what he did with Hamilton in 2021. We won't speak about that. But <laughs> yeah, I think Lance is going to struggle here. So it's going to be in my order, Max, Sergio, Fernando, Lewis, George, Charles, Carlos, Lance, Pierre Gasly, and Lando picking up P10. One question. If Daddy Stroll decides to get rid of Baby Stroll mid-season, who's going to replace him? Can I tell That's you? That's a good question. Who? Who, Chubbs? No one, because he's not going to get rid of his son. <laughs> Remember, Lawrence, uh, Lance Stroll hasn't even left home yet, let alone left daddy's employment. Now, listen, I must tell you, I personally have no issue with uh, Lance at all. While I, he's definitely not top line, he's in the top 10 for me in terms of drivers on the current grid. In, I, I promise you, I really put him ahead of Norris. I put him ahead of DeFres, definitely Tsunoda. Um, I'm not anti-Lance, but you either going to think I'm Nostradamus or I'm an absolute idiot. And why I say I'm Nostradamus, if my prediction comes true for the top three this weekend, you'll say very left field and amazing. All right, let's. I often believe things are meant to be. This is going to be a Spanish uh, Grand Prix for the Spaniards. I'm going with Alonso first. And let me give you my order so you'll understand how I'm arriving at it. Alonso, Russell, Sainz, Verstappen, Leclerc, Hamilton, Checo, and Ocon. That is my top eight. And the reason I'm putting Red Bull so far down is there's going to be that incident that I predicted. Something's going to happen in practice at the start. It's a fast circuit. Yes, they will size their way through the field, but it's not going to be the same as at a truly fast circuit like Monza or Silverstone. It's Alonso's uh, Grand Prix. That is my prediction, and I'm sticking with it. Oh, interesting. I'm proud if it works. <laughs> yeah, Nostradamus. <laughs> I said, if, if it works, you'll say, man, the man is a visionary, or that man is an idiot. <laughs> I'm going to go with the latter. It's not going to happen. I can tell yeah. you that right now. <laughs> you know what? So I'm going to tell you guys my first conspiracy theory. So Because you know how much I love my conspiracy theories. So my first conspiracy theory (laughs) is that Sebastian Vettel will make a return if Lance Stroll gets ousted from Aston Martin. Look, there's talks of that for sure. But remember, they also have Felipe Drogovic who could replace Stroll. But like I was saying to you, if you you guys just have a look at Lance's performance versus where Alonso is, if if Lawrence wants to take that team to championship winning, which he can before the 2026 regulations, they have to find a driver who's going to play second ball, who's going to help. Because at the moment, Lance is incredibly useless just doing what he's doing, crashing into people, doing this, getting helped out the car because he can't even get his wrists right. 
it's it's frustrating when you're an Aston fan. Everyone will know this, but they won't accept it. It's that Alonso is carrying the team. But in F1, like you were saying, the Red Bulls will crash? No, because Sergio knows his place and he has to carry the team for constructors. If you can't fight for drivers' championship, your role is to carry forward for constructors. And if you're letting the team down past P5, when your main driver is trying to hit P2, P3, then a decision will have to be made. I don't know if Sebastian will make it. There's talks of him being lured back to Red Bull for a technical role uh, with Helmut Marko for driver development. So it'll obviously be someone who has to match Alonso, but at the same time has to match the pace to back off a Mercedes and a Ferrari because the thorn in the side of Ferrari not getting their marriage together, that's helping Mercedes quite a bit. But to be honest, I, I don't see Lance, unless he picks his, his shoes up by August, I think he's going to be replaced and uh, Lawrence will have to make that decision whether it's blood or no blood. So Chops has made such an interesting observation about taking Aston Martin right to the top. They are in an absolute catch-22 right now. You need two top drivers to take the team right to the top. But when you've got Fernando Alonso as one of those drivers, unfortunately, you have to have somebody, like Chop said, who's willing to play second fiddle. Lance Stroll knows his place. Even in 2021, when uh, Alonso was at um, Alpine, when uh, he helped uh, Esteban Ocon win the Hungarian Grand Prix, Please believe me, he was not happy for the team. Alonso's happiest when the team is focused around him. That's why it never worked out at McLaren first time around. That's why it ended bad at a Ferrari. Alonso and Vettel will be toxic. I don't disagree that there's a possibility, but Alonso and Vettel will be toxic at that team. What is your second conspiracy theory? Can't wait to hear it. <laughs> so my second conspiracy theory, and I know Chops and... and um, Matthew on this one are going to say that I'm absolutely crazy, but I am mission three, mission 33, a go for this weekend in Spain. Alonso is going to win this Grand Prix. You and I can't, me together. I can't say you're crazy. I really can't say you're crazy. But what I can say is that for Alonso to win in Spain, the Red Bull Omex must be off performance because we haven't and I'm telling you this just for intersect. We haven't seen the true performance of that Red Bull. That Red Bull is playing around with people. It's not really on. I mean, how do you justify two sectors? Max was down. Wasn't really yeah. close to Alonso. And on that last sector, after hitting a barrier which should slow you, anything you hit going forward brings, pulls you back. That car just had the nerve, the, the driver had the nerve to put it on pole. So I'm saying, if we believe Alonso is going to win, something must be wrong with Max's car and Max on the day. I know, but I'm hopeful. I'm dreaming. <laughs> I'm happy for you. You're always going to have that season that can't be perfect. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have Red Bull winning 22 races. Even in 1988, when McLaren had the most dominant season ever, they had that incident at the Italian Grand Prix, 15 out of 16, they won. It's going to come, for me, the Spanish Grand Prix is written in the stars. It's 10 years since Alonso won at the Spanish Grand Prix. Sainz is going to deliver. I'm going with Korea. Alonso first. Who cares who comes second? <laughs> no, 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 no. I feel like the, 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 the Red Bulls are definitely up for second place there. Second and third, I think. I will say this. Uh, and, and it's what Chops mentioned. So uh, 
having understand and, and talking to people and, and gathering my wealth of knowledge, I can tell you that the RB19 is probably at 70% power. Um, they've mm -hmm. held back a good 30% and everyone can definitely see it. Uh, we're averaging and uh, you know a gap of 22 and a half seconds off the front. So we are serious about that car. Only reason being why we're being held back is obviously because we were hit with a major penalty for quote-unquote overspending. But you can also argue that even if you spend $5 million over the budget, it doesn't equate to 22 seconds worth of gap. So if people are going to take a fight to Red Bull, Red Bull still have enough horsepower to turn up. So we're kind of just playing it safe for now. Um, I don't think it's going to be Alonso. You might have snapped all the Red Bull engineers, but Red Bull have been doing this for decades and they've got a good thing going on. There's no way they're going to let it happen. And also, even though it's it's a, a Spanish Grand Prix, you know, there's also some love for the Mexicans there. There's also Science is going to have some backing and there's also going to be Sergio who will have a massive fan base there. So it's going to be all to play for. But if anyone's going to try knock off the Milton Keynes team, I think they're quite delusional because all we've got to do is just put it into sport mode because currently we're driving at economy right now. Stop killing my dreams, Matthew. Stop killing them. <laughs> <laughs> mission three is P3, Kriya. Just accept it. No, mission 33. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other three will come later. It. All right. Well, gents, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for your predictions. I look forward to chatting to you guys before the next race and we can go back to all your predictions and see... Uh, exactly who was right and who was not, who was delusional, as Matthew says. <laughs> Who's the Nostradamus? Who's the Nostradamus? Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you, you for the opportunity, Kriya. Thank you, guys.